I'm going to be sharing this morning from Cultivating Christian Character in Children. Now, as a parent, as a mother, it's been my desire for my children to be ready for the kingdom of God. God has used my children to motivate me in the Christian experience. And so, as a mother, I've been looking and searching for ways how I can encourage my children, how I can prepare their hearts, how I can be an instrument in the hands of God to have their characters formed in His image. And I've tried a number of methods that I got from Christian authors that I found very disappointing in that they failed to accomplish the true, pure fruit of the character of Christ. We got compliant behavior, we got changes in behavior, but God wants us to win the heart of our young people for Him. He wants their heart, when He has their heart, He changes their character from the inside out. Not just what we wear on the outside, but what is on the inside that motivates us to choose to live for Christ. Cultivating Christian character in children. It's been a study I've done since my children were little, as they got to be middle-aged, or middle-aged child, I mean, you know, 8, 10, 12, those school years, those early school years, and then even as youth, because I see, in, when I read the Word of God, I see His ideal for us. And I have often thought, and God has brought this thought to my mind, as a parent, sometimes we say, oh, well, it's just because they're a certain age, it's just because they're a child, it's just we begin to make excuses for certain behaviors that inside our heart, deep within our heart, we really know isn't good. But somehow we've we've kind of found a way to excuse it or justify it. But when I go to God's Word and I see what He can make of us, the Lord is called to my heart. And this is the way He's done it. Elaine, what are your children going to be like in heaven? That's simple enough, isn't it? Will your children be bickering and arguing and fussing in heaven? What do you think, children? You're going to talk back to mother and father and say, I don't feel like doing that right now. Is that the way you're going to be in heaven? No. I mean, it's clear, isn't it? We have a a very clear concept of what heaven will be like, at least as clear as our finite minds can understand, even little children. But that character is to be formed here in this world. We will not be magically transformed in character when Christ comes to be found and ready to go with him to heaven. That character transformation begins here and now. And regardless of whatever age you may find yourself working with your children, whether they're toddlers, infants, um, 8- to 10-year-olds, 14- to 18-year-old, whatever age they are is the opportunity we begin where we are. So today, I want to share with you four character qualities that I've lumped together in the series Cultivating Christian Character in Children. I actually discuss 18 different character qualities that in my life and with my children, I've studied over a period of three different segments of ages. And in the last time that that I studied it, actually, my children were a part of that study. Each week, we would take a different character quality, and we would study it from the Word of God, write out the principles, and we talk about application of that. And each week, a different child would pick the character quality, if it was kindness, patience, uh, perseverance, and the, those are a couple of the ones we're going to be discussing here this morning. Patience. You ever heard the word? talking about the kind of patience which means we we are long suffering slow to anger as the bible says thank you it's on now isn't it slow to anger by nature by nature every one of us in this room is an impatient person it's human nature i used to think i was really patient In fact, before I had children, even before I was married, 
but especially before I had children, I used to be viewed as a very patient, long-suffering, caring nurse. My coworkers thought I was patient, and I did. I, I gave myself for those patients, those clients, those sick people who were there needing intensive care nursing, and I would just go beyond what would be natural, deny myself for the good of that person. But after I had children, somehow I began to become quite discouraged that the littlest thing, I mean little things, could just irritate me so easy. Patience. It's interesting that Christ through James and James 1.4 tells us this, but let patience have its perfect work. Is patience a part of the character of God? Yes. Let patience have its perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Why? Because patience is a part of the character of God. And if we're going to be in the heavenly kingdom, and we're going to represent his character to those around us, starting in our own homes, then patience will be a part of what God cultivates in our heart. It will have a perfect work that is different than just trying to try hard to be patient and trying hard not to say something, trying hard not to let what's really inside out, but let Christ change us from within. Now, all human beings exhibit impatience in different ways. You can have a, a child, a young child, a baby, an infant, and that child may be crying because there's a need. But every parent intuitively knows the difference between a cry of need and a cry of impatience, don't we? Even young people pick up the difference. Even small children and siblings know the difference. If the baby's just crying, if their sister's just crying, they may say, Mother, you know, little Jenny needs you. But if little Jenny just wells out that cry of impatience, what happens? Even the little ones try to go and, and get that baby to try to, you know, meet its need or meet it, shall I say, its demands. Human nature is very demanding. Children say, hurry, mommy, hurry, 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 mother, I need you, mother, right now. Or they, they can just stand, you could be talking with your husband and they can just come right in and start talking and talk right over the top of you. Those are all signs of impatience. And, of course, we adults know how easy it is to be impatient, don't we? So today, I want to look at some ways and share with you some ways that we found working for the heart, being sensitive to the Lord, how we can cultivate patience in our children. One of the first ways that we found very effective in our home was to change from chaos to order. Isn't that interesting? I mean in just how we lived our life, not even so much in the physical, although that helps, the physical surroundings. I'm talking about order and regularity in the life, having a schedule. When I first started parenting and my girls were toddlers and they were little, they used to roll out of the bed and right to the table and they were very impatient if I wasn't ready with their meal. And so... What would happen to us, or what happens to us as mothers, when our children come out of bed and they come in the kitchen, I'm hungry, and they sit down and they're ready to eat and we're not ready? Have you ever felt yourself scrambling? We found that by having regularity and order in our home, it helped tremendously to begin to cultivate patience. Because the Lord began to show me, when my children wake up, the first moments are to be with Him. So I then changed, by God directing my heart, how I was training my children. And I began to have a regular time for my children to go to bed. Instead of just when they looked tired or felt tired or were acting tired with their fussiness. Had a set time every night, which then we established a set time for rising every morning. And then we established the worship time and then breakfast at a set time. 
And it was just in a short period of time, I saw that the little girls who just came out of bed and, and thought they were famished and couldn't wait for two minutes for me to get the food on the table could be a half an hour and be cheerful and kind and they could wait patiently for the meal. Because God showed me the importance of order and regularity in our home. And so every aspect of our day became scheduled. In, in segments of activities or needs and necessities that would happen from the meals and worships to their homeschool time and their chore time and their play time, everything had a time. And I found, as our young people grew older, having a clear expectation helps to cultivate patience also. Because they know what time something's expected, they can wait patiently for that time. Having regularity and order in the home, a schedule, a routine, whatever word you want to put on it. And I talk a little bit about that in this series, Cultivating Christian Character, but also in the gospel applied in parenting on the back of that is a home schedule that we had that we found was very, it met the needs of our family. Now you could take it home and you could try to plug your family into every one of those time slots and it wouldn't work the same for you. You have to custom design the schedule in your home according to your needs, the ages of your children, your youth, and according to how God is directing in your home. But one thing is clear. We will all be creatures of orderliness. And we will all represent God in that aspect. The second way we began to cultivate patience in our home. And I'd like to define patience. is like, it's very simply like this. Waiting calmly for the desired object. Whether that's food or an activity or uh, a recreation or help in a school lesson, whatever it may be, waiting calmly for your desired need. So another way we began to work in our home is to let others go first. Because by nature, and if you have more than one child in your home, you will notice that there are certain personality types, or perhaps it's according to age in the home. Sometimes the older children have more um, patience because parents have given more time. And then the younger one comes along and everybody's kind of pampering to keep the little one happy. And sometimes the little ones are more impatient than the older ones. But recognizing and evaluating and identifying impatience and then looking for ways to cultivate that in letting others go first. It may be something simple. Something as simple as letting others in our home, one particular child, I'd say, why don't you serve your sister first? Why don't you serve your brother first? Before you just grab the dish and start loading up your plate and start eating while the rest of us are barely getting our napkin in the lap, why don't you serve the one next to you? Serving others helps to cultivate patience. It turns the focus away from self to others. And that is what the life of Jesus was all about, serving others, not himself. Let the other one choose the story for noon story time or family evening time. Let them pick the book they want to read. You, you know, you can watch this happen in your home. There's certain children, and it's time for a story, and you'll have this child, and, and they'll just say, I want to read such and such. I want to read out of Tiger and Tom. I want to read out of the King's Daughter. And every day you come, and the same child pipes up, and this is what I want to read. Today, we're going to let Allison go first. Let her choose what story she would like to read. Oh, that's okay, she might say. Allison, you choose the story. Because we have to help sometimes other siblings to help their sibling. You understand what I'm saying? Those who may be more natural to give, they need to be able to make the decision, I need to choose so that I help to cultivate patience in my brother or my sister. So letting another go first. 
The third area we found that really was a weak area initially in our home was that of interrupting. Interruption is another form of impatience. A child can come to their mother and, Mother, 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 father, father, father. And they interrupt. Or you can have you can be in a discussion with one of your children and another one of them can come in the room and just enter right in and start taking over and did you know and guess what I did and did you see? Cultivating patience is not allowing our child to interrupt us. And there's different ways that we have dealt with this in our home, but a simple way, and I'm just going to give you one example that we found very helpful. If my child needed me and there was a need, they could come to me and stand by me. And just their presence by me was a clear message. Why? Because we talked about it. When you need me and you want to tell me something, you come and stand by me. If I'm in a conversation at camp meeting and I'm with talking with somebody else, you come and stand by me and I will know you need to speak to me. And as quickly as possible, as gracefully as I can, I will acknowledge you and give you the opportunity to share with me what you need to tell me. It's very simple. Rather than just coming, Mother, I need you too, in the middle of a conversation. Cultivating patience. Helping our young person learn to wait calmly for their desired need or for the desired end. It may be, and we've used that, another another way we've worked with in our home and at different ages, sometimes I just put my finger up. That lets the child know, I hear you, I know you need to speak to me, and as quickly as I can, I will respond. It's just a simple message of acknowledgement. If we're going to cultivate patience, if we want to break the habit of interrupting, then we must acknowledge that we know our young person, our child, our youth has a need. So we give them simple uh, ways of acknowledging that by a look of the eye, by a finger, by putting our hand on their shoulder, whatever it may be. It says, I know you need me. As quickly as I can, I will respond. Cultivating patience. There's numerous other ways. But as you study, and I want to encourage you to study the Word of God in all these areas, in every character quality, I have found Bible illustrations and scripture texts that specifically deal with the positive aspect of cultivating these. And and I found scriptures and stories in the Bible that respond to the ways we shouldn't and the results of impatience, like Saul. He was impatient for the prophet to come back, you remember? And Samuel said, but I will be there. And the day went on and on and on. And Saul thought, it's too late. He's just not going to come. So he went ahead without the prophet. And we know the sad results of that. He was impatient. And impatience always bears consequences. Whether it's in young child, uh, middle, middle age, a uh, 10-year-old, a youth, always impatience bears some heartache down the road. Let's talk about encouraging and cultivating perseverance. Perseverance, have you ever heard the word? You like it? Persevering. One of the first times I thought of this word, we were backpacking for the first time. Josiah was, I think, four four or five years old. I can't remember now. Four or five years old, maybe five. He was carrying a backpack, which was just a little nylon bag that had his clothes in it. We were on a hike eight miles long, all of which, or almost all of which was uphill, so that we climbed over this eight miles a couple of thousand feet. And he would say, oh, Mommy, I am so tired. And I knew he was because I was tired, too. Tom said, Josiah, you need to persevere. Mile after mile. And I tell you, the struggle that went in my heart, I thought I was being child abuser. You know what I mean? It's interesting how there we feel we are in bondage to so much societal pressures and expectations. Because he would come and he'd say, I just can't go any further. I'm just so tired. Of course, we would take times to rest. 
And then my husband showed me. We were just almost to the top, and he was just crying out, Mother, carry me. And everything in my heart wanted to pick him up and carry him and, and felt like if I didn't do this, that I was being an abusive parent, a neglectful parent, a, a harsh, in, uncompassionate parent. So we stopped for a rest. And you know what he did? He dropped his little pack, about four or five pounds, on the ground, and he ran through the woods. <laughs> now, when I sat down on the ground, I didn't run anywhere. I was in pain. Persevering. Because we had started working with him even at two years old with perseverance. Because we recognized when he was two and Allison was seven that this was a great need in our home. My children didn't know how to persevere in anything. So we began where they were. And the Lord reminded me, the Waldensian children, that's why I love the history of his people. Because we find in the history of his people through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy how perseverance was so effective to help keep God's people, their heart in tune with their maker, and how these little children endured great hardship and persevered through difficulties without murmuring or complaining. It was a call to my heart. Persevering. Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now, he doesn't say, if you persevere in my word, but isn't that what the word continue means? Don't just read it and say, oh, this is really good, and I, I should do this, and you do it for a week, and then you let it go and move on to something else. He said, continue in the way. Persevere. Because if you will persevere in my will, in my way, in my word, then you truly are my disciples. We truly will then begin to reflect his character and his image. Regardless of the task at hand, regardless of the circumstances that you're in, persevere and to bring that task to its completion, that object to its completion, even if it can't be completed in a day. Now, I know the lack of perseverance in my life as a young person and into my early married life I had more ideas and projects started that never got done. I'd start with a great enthusiasm, I'm going to do this. i get partway through it, put it away. Why? Because I didn't have time. I got tired of it. Maybe it became monotonous if it was something you really didn't enjoy doing. And so this lack of perseverance, I found, began to have a corresponding relationship in my spiritual life. So the temporal life is the training ground that helps us to recognize the importance of spiritual things. Because if we become tired of a task because it's difficult, like painting the, the house, now that's when you're going to bring to completion because if you don't, you can't stand to look at it. But it's still a difficult task. It can be wearisome. It can be monotonous. Whatever the task may be, if it's not brought to completion... For whatever reason, we begin, this, the same thing will happen in our spiritual life. We will start, we will hear these messages, we will go home and say, I want this to be our experience. And we jump in with both feet and we begin to implement and say, Lord, direct us. And a week later, we're flat on our face in despair and discouragement and saying, woe is me, I want to give up, it's too hard. Persevering, Jesus said, if you continue in my word. He also says through, through, uh, in Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. That text is forever embedded in my mind, and the Lord has brought it to my mind numerous times as a parent who, in my flesh, in my human weakness, wearies of being a parent. It's difficult, it's challenging, it makes, brings us face to face with ourselves, and so we get discouraged and we don't want to persevere, and we see the fruit when we let things go, don't we? We don't just take a step backwards, we take a slide backwards, we lose ground quickly. Be not weary in well-doing, and the promise is you will reap 
if you faint not. The energy comes from God. I can't generate enough physical, emotional, and and mental energy to meet the needs of my family. But God can give it to me, just like he wants to give it to each one of us. So as we are in our temporal life, we'll bear a corresponding experience in our spiritual life. So perseverance in the physical life, in the school lesson. Mother, this lesson's too hard. I can't do it. I homeschooled three children. I've heard that plea many times. The cry, the anguish. And it was heartfelt. I can't. I can't. I can't. But Jesus says to us, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So we need to get the heart with the Lord. That means the attitude changes. When the attitude's there, then we have the willingness to conquer difficult things and through perseverance. Share with you a couple of ways that we've found way that we've found effective in cultivating perseverance in our home, encouragement. If you're wearying of something, isn't it nice that someone says, thank you for doing that, I appreciate your work, or you're doing a good job, or, you know, that makes me so happy when you do. Just little simple words of encouragement go a long way to help one persevere in difficult circumstances. Encouragement. See how quickly you can do the dishes. Yesterday you did them all in less than 30 minutes. Encourage them. They can persevere. Even in their playtime, a child at four or five may sit down and they're going to color a picture and they're all excited and they start the picture and halfway through they're tired of the picture. They hear their brother outside doing something and they want to get up and run out and do something different. Persevering and bringing it to completion. Honey, you're doing a good job. With just a few more minutes, you'll have it done. All you need to do is finish coloring the shoes and the grass and you'll be done. Words of encouragement to persevere and bring it to its completion. My children, like I, in the past, have many ideas of things they want to do. Projects. Fun things, building a fort, fixing the wagon, building a raft. We encourage them to bring it through completion. Now, I would have never had the idea of building a raft, but Emily and Josiah had this idea. They were going to build a raft, and they found some uh, that beadboard insulation stuff that was left from a project. They found some boards. They were going to put this all together because that, that styrofoam insulation floats. And so by putting a hard board surface on the top, you could sit on that without breaking the beadboard, top and bottom, and they could build a little raft. Well, if you want to build a raft, then the raft has to be finished so that the raft works. And it did. And then they wanted Mother to get on the raft. <laughs> I said, let me see you first. <laughs> and they both, this is when they were here, they both got on it. And it floated. When I got on it, it... It floated, but not on the surface. (laughs) I was a little bit wet. So I suggested you make it a little bigger, you know. (laughs) Encourage them to persevere in bringing it through to completion. We can start with good intentions. A child can start something with good intentions. Even their attitude in school can start great. Some... Don't you know the mornings they come and they're all excited and they can hardly wait and they're getting started or the beginning of a school year? And then maybe... Two weeks into it, or maybe two hours into it, they lose their enthusiasm, encouraging them to bring it through to completion. The second way we found to help bring perseverance and cultivate perseverance in our home was through incentives. Incentives. Positive motivators. We have, one of the the greatest incentives we have in our home, especially for many years as our children were growing up in the summertime, is our pond in the backyard. It's very cold water. And children just love to be in water, don't they? It doesn't matter how old they are, they like to be in water. They like to play in the water. They like to see what they can do in the water. 
You see it at the kitchen sink, don't you? Even when they're really little and you put them in the bathtub and their legs and their arms are going like this and they just love the splash. And as they get older, they think of different ways to enjoy the water. Well, incentives. For us, we have responsibilities. Our, because we, the homeschooling is finished for the year doesn't mean that our children just have five extra hours a day to play away. We have responsibilities, projects to get done. We live in Montana, so almost all of our home maintenance has to be done within a two- to three-month period of time. We don't have nine or months or 12 months like you have in California to get your house painted or to grow a garden or do all these other kind of things. So everything is very compact. So we're out there weeding the garden. And I said, okay, if you've seen our photo albums, we have grow beds. Today we're going to weed the top three grow beds. When they're done, we can go in the pond. Okay, so they want to be out there, and they want to do it so they can get really hot because our water in the pond is very cold. It's a mountain spring. And believe me, you don't spend time swimming. You, you get in and you get out very quickly. So there's a lot of practice of jumping and diving and a little bit of practice of swimming because the water is so cold you turn numb too quick. But that was an incentive for them. And it was very motivating for years. We go out and pick raspberries. How many of you ever picked raspberries? Oh, good, and you learn how to persevere, right? Because you pray and you, just, you want the Lord to bless those, those bushes, and you pray that it'll have a great harvest. And one year we picked 31 gallons of raspberries. That's a lot of raspberries, and they're only this big. Perseverance. All three rows. And you know what? Every two days you're out doing the same thing. To every two or three days, because every couple of days, more ripening, more ripening. Perseverance. We would be one on one side of the raspberry row and one on the other, and we would even do this in our swimsuits so we could get really hot because as soon as we were done, we were afraid we'd cool off too much and we went in the house and, you know, changed our clothes and all that, and by the time we got to the pond, at least for me, I wouldn't be motivated to get in the pond. But perseverance to finish the job and jump in the pond with the children. It was very motivating. In the school lessons, incentives... As our children learn the lesson well, and they persevere to learn all their math facts, that they became as natural to them as breathing. When they saw four and three, they just said seven because they know four and three are seven. And it wasn't an arduous thing with one, two, three, four. Five. Yeah, that's seven, mother. If you're, using, if you're having fingers used, you need to persevere and get those math facts mastered. Then, as an incentive, do this row. If they're all perfect and do it in that amount of time, I'll skip the next row. Do the next row. If I'll check it. If it's perfect, we'll skip the next row. Only after they have mastered the learning. It's an incentive, isn't it? The incentive or reward. It all helps to build perseverance. And it is another lesson that as the child masters those things and they persevere through those early times of learning that there will be rewards. See, many times our young people don't see rewards. Why do I have to know how to spell? Why do I have to know how to add? Because it's abstract for them at their age. But as they get older, the rewards and the blessing of seeing those things and how they help them in everyday life. So teach perseverance through encouragement and incentives. Very positive ways. We, we understand the need for correction. Cultivating Christian character, I like to focus on the building side. And that's the focus of this series. I do believe, and there is a need for correction. But I want to share on the positive side. Let's build on the positive. And the more we do that, the less time we spend on the correction side. Initiative. Let's talk for a few minutes about how do we cultivate initiative. Who knows what initiative is? Anybody? Okay. Somebody want to volunteer a simple definition of initiative? Doing it on your own without prompting. Children, did you hear that? What does that mean? It means when you get up in the morning, you just make your bed. Your mommy doesn't have to come in and say, now, Sarah, it's time to make your bed. As you get older, doing it without being prompted. And so you walk in the back door, and there's sand and dirt that came in from people tracking in and out, and you don't wait for your father or your mother to say, 
Joe, please vacuum the dirt up by the back door. Initiative says Joe sees the dirt and he gets the vacuum out or the broom and he sweeps it up. Initiative. That is a part of the character of Christ. And all through scriptures we see God's faithful people taking initiative, don't we? I think of Esther. I think of Esther. When Mordecai came to her and he told her of what was going to happen to the Jewish people because of wicked Haman being very cunning and deceptive to go in before the king to find a way to exterminate the Jewish race. Mordecai brought that to Esther. And if you read the book of Esther in chapter 4 and verse 16, we find here her response. She simply received information. She, because of her walk with her father in heaven, she knew something must be done, and she took initiative. She says, I want you to fast and pray with me. I want you to tell your people to fast and pray. My maidens and I, we will fast and pray, and we will seek for God for him to deliver his people. She took initiative. Initiative is noticing something that needs to be done or remembering something that needs to be done and doing it without prompting from anyone else. That it is done from the start to the finish. We found a number of ways to cultivate initiative in our home. The first one, and we've talked about it already today, is schedule. It's amazing to me what having a schedule in the home has done to not only help with patience and cultivate order in our home, but also initiative in our home. Because when we have a schedule and we have things that happen every day, every day, and when our children were younger, they were in the early school years, first grade, second grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, all through those years, daily they had regular responsibilities in the home, regular duties that they did, everything from washing the dishes to the laundry to the dusting to the floors to the bathrooms and everything. And every day they had a few responsibilities that they were fully in charge of doing. Teaching our children that level of usefulness in the home developed initiative. Now, when they come in the back door, or you, you, you walk through a room and you see a piece of paper, a little wad of paper on the floor, they just bend over and pick it up. If a towel falls off the, the rack in the kitchen, or if it slides off the rack in the bathroom, they just simply, you know, and they walk in and they see it. Maybe it, for some reason it slid off, or maybe the person before them wasn't as careful as they should have been. Initiative goes and puts it back up. Having a schedule began the foundation to develop initiative in habits in our home. So a schedule is very important. The second thing we did is we made a list for our children. A list. Because humanity forgets easy, doesn't it? We forget easily. And so we made a checklist for our children. A checklist for their room. A checklist for their chores. And on the back of the series, the Gospel Plan and Parenting, on one side you will see the schedule. On the other side you will see the chore list with a description of how those chores are to be brought to completion. So the list then that our children had helped them to develop initiative, a particular chore, an order in which it was done. And that helped each of them to develop initiative. The next step we took is we began to give segments of time to our children and our youth to manage on their own. See what initiative they took in that. Their school lessons. Early on, I would say, let's start with math. I always pick the hardest subject to start with, the hardest one for that child. So for one child, it may be different for the other, and so I may have them start on something different. Pick the difficult one first to conquer it with the best mental energy, the best potential for good attitudes at the beginning of the day, and then we would go from there to the easiest last. As they grew older, they went to their desk, they had their time, the school started, their initiative was they chose what they wanted to start with. They began to manage their time. They began to manage the order in which things were done in their school lessons.
in their chores, in their personal worship time. And I want to talk about personal worship here because this is a wonderful way we can cultivate initiative in our homes. Personal worship, helping our children to develop that personal one-on-one time with God. Talking with our children what's important to them. We talk about the areas of weakness that we've seen that they recognize as well. And then we spend time studying that. We help our children learn how to study for the weaknesses in their character. They take initiative. They pick the topics where they know they have the weak points and they study. And knowing what they're studying, knowing the topics they're studying, not that that's my entire study, but oftentimes I'm studying along with them. Why? Because I can then be more attentive to what they're learning. And the Lord will help us as parents to gain ideas on how to encourage them in a practical way. So even through personal worship, we cultivate initiative. One of the most fun ways we found in our home was developing the concept of a surprise. A surprise. I started this once when I had something else I needed to do that was not something I could wait to do. And my children, I knew they were going to get done with their school before I was ready to give them my attention again. And so I said to them, when you're done with your school, I want you to give, plan one surprise for me. That means they then begin to think of something they can do. It started off with simple things. Maybe they would go to the kitchen drawer and clean out the silverware drawer. Isn't it amazing how when a drawer is shut and it's only open to remove the spoons and forks and knives and shut again, how do those drawers get breadcrumbs and cracker crumbs and all these crumbs in there? Have you noticed that? I can't figure that out because it's not like you open the drawer when you wipe the counter. We've never taught that or ever seen that done in our home. It happens, and so from time to time, I'll go in the kitchen, I'll I'll see that, and I'll pull the silver out and wash the tray and put it all back in. Well, in cultivating initiative, one day, I noticed my child was over there in the kitchen, opening the kitchen drawer. Why? Because they had seen me do it. Our example is the best teacher in in every character quality. Our example of learning, of of being patient with our child is the best way we cultivate patience. Our example of us persevering through difficult things is the best way we cultivate perseverance. Our example in taking initiative and doing little things that normally don't get done is the best way to encourage initiative and cultivate initiative in our home. Our example is, and, and I didn't share that earlier because it seems like it's obvious, Sometimes we miss the obvious, so I want to emphasize it here. In every character quality, our example, our children will learn more by what we do and how we are than by what we say and we tell them they must do. They learn by example. Surprises. And so it could be a drawer. I can remember the first time I ever went to town, meaning to Kalispell, to be gone all day, 65 miles away to run errands. And my children were old enough to be at home. Tom was home, but he had his work he had to do. And so I left them with their chore list to do and their school list to do. And then a little note, this is Mother Needs One Surprise. And when I got home that day, you know who met me at the door? All three of them, Mother, Mother. And I said, what did you do for my surprise? And then they made me go find it. (laughs) And I really had to look. I went to the kitchen drawers and oh they were all right you know and they have become so creative in initiative so when you cultivate initiative be prepared that they may go beyond what you even recognize they can do I came uh I wasn't even gone I I went outside recently and I called Josiah and he says mother mother come here I did a surprise for you I said what did you do he says come see it So I went outside, and I looked around, and I didn't see anything. He says, no, go in the shed. I went in the shed, and I turned on the light so I could see in the shed, and there was more light in the shed. It had one little bulb in it, and he added another. Initiative. He, I thought, how does he know how to do this stuff? I mean, this electrical wiring, I've not done a class in 
electricity or wiring, but his father has had him and the girls help him in simple projects, in building projects, in fix-up projects, and I didn't know that my son knew how to do that. He's done other things that he's taken initiative. Sometimes they may be a little bit scary. <laughs> like Tom shared last night with the converted weed eater to propeller. But it's taking initiative. It's not always building something. They could just go out to the greenhouse. We have a greenhouse and find out that all the dead plants that have been frosted out the way at the end of the season, they're all cleaned out. The child takes initiative. It can be that the garden is rototilled. So we're talking about older children showing initiative. A younger child, some, a child who's not even old enough to be in school, can still take initiative. They can still be responsible to put their toys away or come into the bedroom and say, Mommy, Mommy, look what I've done. And they've emptied the little... They, they pull a little sack out of the garbage in the trash in the bathroom and they've taken it out and they put it in the kitchen trash. Look, and they're so pleased. Cultivating initiative by encouraging your children to do surprises that are constructive, wholesome surprises. And they learn to take initiative. Lastly, I'd like to talk a few minutes on mercy. How do we cultivate mercy? Or do we even know what mercy is? The Bible talks about mercy in many ways. Micah 6 verse 8, he says, He has shown the old man what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? But to what? Do justice. Do what is right. Do God's will, not our own. And to what? Love mercy. Love mercy. Mercy simply is tenderness and tolerance, to love it. Kind of goes hand in hand with forgiveness, doesn't it? Mercy. To do justice and to love mercy because our Father in heaven, that's a part of his character, is mercy. And if it wasn't a part of his character, we may as well go home, right? We wouldn't even be here. But his character is merciful. That means there's hope for every one of us, regardless of what we've done wrong, regardless of the things we've said that are unchristlike, regardless of our past. Today, God gives mercy. Each day, he offers mercy for the erring. Tenderness and tolerance. Not tolerance to continue in the wrong, but a, but a tolerance that, that understands and takes us by the hand and helps us to become more like him. So mercy never justifies or excuses or rationalizes wrongdoing. Mercy never does that. But mercy shows forgiveness and forgets. And they go hand in hand. God is a merciful God. And when we make it to heaven, when we're in our heavenly home, mercy will be that everyone who's there, their sins are blotted out and they are no more. That's mercy. Who would want to live for eternity to have to continually see the record of their mistakes, their rebellion, their wicked ways of speaking and living forever? I remember their sins no more. That's mercy. So it never justifies, excuses, or rationalizes the wrong, but reaches down to the wrong, to the wrongdoer, and says there is a better way. There is a better way. Forgives in tenderness and helps the child, helps the individual to find restoration in Christ. Teach our children, the best way we can cultivate mercy is to teach our children to return good for evil. Good for evil. A kind word for a sharp word. A kind word for a irritated word. Good for evil. Paul says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 
That's how we cultivate mercy. Teach our children to return good for evil. If somebody, when our children were young, if when they were little, and one would grab the toy, and this is mine, this is mine, and the other child was playing with it. And what is the natural instinct of that child who lost the thing they were playing with? Say, okay, you can have it. Does anybody have a child like that just naturally? Or is your child like mine have been? Yeah, it's mine, I hit it first. Right? Now, we don't accept the grabbing and the wrongdoing, but neither does it justify that same response on the other side. We teach the child who has been wrong to respond in mercy. We then teach the child who has wrong to be righted. That is very important. And this is a very big, weak area for parents with more than one child, especially when the child's younger. There is a tendency for us, and I've seen it in our home, and I've seen it in numerous homes, the younger child, never mind, you need to share, just makes them happy. You are cultivating selfishness in that child. And selfishness will always lead to rebellion. So we don't excuse the wrong. We work with the wrongdoer. And we help them to be reconciled. But many, many a fight, verbal, physical, in in spirit, in attitudes, in opinions, in the mind, many of those contentions between siblings or between parent and child would be alleviated if we cultivate mercy, the principle of returning good for wrong. The second way we found in our home to cultivate mercy is do not allow our children, we do not allow our children to sulk and pout. You know what I mean by that? And it's another part of human nature. I've done it. I know what it's like. I know what it can be like, and it it affects marriages too. It divides husbands and wives because we go into these silent, silent, sulking, cold wars between spouses because there's been a difference. There's a barrier and there's, there's resistance for reconciliation. It's I'm right and the other one says I'm right and they lock. The lack of mercy in, in a heart, one of the ways it, it grows, that lack of mercy, one of the ways we lose that is by allowing our children to sulk and pout over little things or big things. When someone has wronged us, as I shared, don't re- ret- we should return good for evil. But if you see your child sitting there on the chair, or they won't respond to you, they won't answer their brother or their sister, and they're starting into sulking and pouting, you know that there's a work of the heart that needs to be done. And we have seen young people who have grown up whose parents have never addressed this weakness, not understanding the importance. They think, well, they'll grow out of it. They'll forget about it. It'll get better. Let's just not rock the boat. We're afraid of a potential further confrontation. So they have let it go. And we've seen young people grow up into young adults who can hold grudges and animosity and bitter feelings for weeks, months, and even years against someone who they think has wronged them a long time ago because they had never learned how to be merciful. No one will be in heaven holding a grudge No one will be in heaven with bitterness and animosity. And if we don't cultivate mercy and we allow the sulking and the pouting and that self-centered spirit to grow, we are allowing our children to be unprepared for Christ's coming and to experience nothing but misery and heartache here as well. Because those people are miserable with hold the grudges. And they hurt themselves more than they hurt anyone else. And they have physical health responses to that. And our society is full of people who are physically ill because of mental attitudes toward other people. Don't pamper the wrongdoer. I already mentioned that in their attitudes, but show a gentle, tender, loving response and help them to right the wrong. 
What I mean by that is have them truly come to say, don't just say, tell them you're sorry now and give it back. That's the quick fix that does nothing for the heart. It only changes the behavior at the moment. Work with the heart. They have, I'm sorry that I took your toy. I am sorry that I spoke those words. Will you forgive me? Teaches humility and confession and repentance. It will engender mercy. And by our own example, as I said earlier, the more merciful we allow God to help us to become, and our children will see that the more merciful they will treat each other and they will treat you. And the more Christ-like they will become. When I think of these four character qualities, the Bible character that comes to my mind is Moses. Moses. Patient was the man patient. How would you like to have a couple of million people that you're going to parent for 40 years who, are, who the Bible describes as hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and rebellious. He was a patient man because he held on to the Almighty God, his Father. And he was in communion with his Father, and that's how he had the energy and the forbearance to be patient with his people, his children. Patience. He demonstrated patience. Perseverance? Absolutely. Forty years. First 40 years in the wilderness, when, he was, when God is grooming him for his responsibility, all he did was care for sheep. That was perseverance. Much more important things he could have been doing. Perseverance, another 40 years with people who were even worse than the sheep. Perseverance through the power of Jesus Christ. Initiative. Moses took initiative. When there was a problem, he addressed it. Lord, they're complaining. They think they're going to run out of food. We're in the wilderness now. What are we going to do? He, his initiative took him to the Father, his Father in heaven, who had the answer to solve the problem. So God said, look, I'm going to rain manna. This is what you need to do. Tell the people that. And so he told Moses how to have the people pick up the manna. Moses took the initiative when the problem came, and he went to the Father for the answer. When they were running out of water, when they were there and the people had made the golden calf when it came off the mountain, Moses took initiative to address the wrongdoing. Was he firm? Absolutely. Did they learn a lesson? Very much. He was merciful, but he, he was also took initiative. We see mercy demonstrated in Moses' life in Exodus 32, verse 32. It goes through Genesis, or Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All those four books have to deal with Moses parenting a few million people. And in, in the book of Exodus 32, it, it says mercy. This is how I define mercy through the life of Moses. He says, Father, that's my word I'm putting on the front, the text says, if thou wilt forgive their sin. He's asking God to forgive their sin. Then he says... And if not, blot my name out too. Had he done anything against God? Was, had, he, had he deserved to be blotted out of the book? No. But his tenderness and his tolerance, which he learned from his father, it was, mercy was so much a part of his character that he said, Lord, if you're going to blot them out, blot me out too. I've given my life for them. I love them. Mercy. God will help each one of us to cultivate these character qualities in our children as we are willing to allow him to cultivate those in our hearts. I've asked Karen if she would have our closing prayer. As we kneel together, let's ask God to help us know how he would have us cultivate his character in our children. Shall we kneel together? Father God, we just thank you for your love towards us. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, for taking initiative to send your son to die for our problems. Amen. We ask, Lord, that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would create a new heart within us, that you will help us to have a right attitude, Lord, that we may go forward and do the work that you have for us. Lord, we ask for 
forgiveness for our sins where we have failed. And we just thank you, Lord, for the words of encouragement and for wisdom and training that we have heard. We ask, Lord, that you will bless those that are here and the families that are on their way. We ask that your Holy Spirit will be here with us to guide us and to direct us in all our ways. And Lord, may we have the character that you have shown us in all the examples in your word. We ask, Lord, that you will guide and direct our feet as we trust you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.